Hey friends, and welcome to the Moving Mountains podcast. Moving Mountains is a place to hear true stories of modern day miracles told by ordinary people just like you and me. My name is Paige, and I'm joined here in Alaska by my dear friends, Margaret and Bernadette, as we witness accounts of how God has worked in people's lives in big and small ways. As you listen to these stories of hope, answered prayers, and unexplained phenomena, we invite you to allow this space to inspire your faith and even to help you recognize the ways in which God is moving mountains in your own life. You're listening to part two of last week's episode. If you haven't heard part one, please return to our recordings to access the first half of this episode. We don't want you to miss any part of this story. You could probably say this better than me, but don't don't you think he was just 10 or 15 minutes away from dying? I looked, I made notes. Um, once, once, once all the dust settled, um, <clears throat> I made some notes and he was, uh, he, he was getting a little bit less responsive. Um, he, he's a young guy, a lot of reserve, uh, good heart. And the, the, the biggest worry when you're out in the field is, is he, is he bleeding internally somewhere or, or, did did something happen to his chest wall? And some things. The longer he went with and, and then survived, it, it kind of told me that okay, it, it wasn't as bad as as those first five minutes. Um, if in trauma, if you can survive the first hour, you're actually probably pretty stable. So I think youth was on his on his side, and mm. and uh, so. Who, who knows? But but the pulse was was accelerating. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. So he was. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a so question. We, what was ahead. the length of time between the accident and the helicopter showing up? Are we talking six hours, eight hours? Like when did the helicopter or the four, four hours? Okay. So this happens. Wow. Six o'clock ish at night, and then yep, yep. plane crashed like about five thirty, and, and and they they got there. They they took off about about nine thirty. Wow, that's amazing, especially considering John had to run, do you know, do the eight to nine mile run, and then find someone to pick him up, and then go find phone yeah. service. And imagine how emotional he was, and he he he's <sighs> a incredibly compassionate man mm. um, and so even though he was only there for a short period of time at the crash site um, I mean he was just uh, traumatized the whole way and wanting to get there wanting to be able to get uh, call help and uh, mm-hmm. um, had some pretty intense pastoral discussions with him uh, later um, about that, but he saved Matthew's life. I mean, it, if we hadn't I, had John, John as a marathon runner wasn't there, um, Matthew wouldn't be here today. I was just thinking, as you know, you're not even done with your story yet, but all of these little pieces, like you with your backcountry experience and you know rescue experience, and Doctor Tapel, and and then your marathon runner. It's just and the way the plane crashes, just like all these little things that are, you know coming together for you, if you will, um, 
not to disregard the loss of someone. But anyway, you guys continue. But wow, I'm just amazed so far. Yeah, so we, um, the, the, there was an organization of getting everybody back that was up there. Um, and, and that, that was a logistical thing in and of itself because everybody was traumatized and all. My wife, Maria Elena, was contacted, as, I think, as we were flying back. Um, and of course, for her, it was just totally traumatic to learn, learn your son is, uh, unconscious going into the ICU and, um, you need to come over to the hospital. So she met me there. Um, and Matthew was stable, um, but unconscious and, and they put him into a, uh, what's it called, John, when, when they keep him under? Just a drug-induced coma. They yeah, can use a yeah. number of different drugs to do that. And that's just to calm calm your brain down, lower your blood pressure. And they did all the different tests on him that you do in a, in a traumatic injury like this. And they found some bleeding around the exterior of the brain. And so there was physiologically from the tests, they they didn't see anything that was, um, you know, like an area of the brain or something that had terrible bleeding and, you know, that, that they could have great concerns about anything else about his condition, John, that you wanted to add? We had a, he had a broken leg, right? His, his left ankle was broken. He had, he had some, some injury to his, to his his thigh area. Um, those are the other things I remember. Well, there was the the cheekbone um, that has that three three different yep. places on it, uh, bones that hold it up. That was that was crushed, and that was Oof. what was causing the the nose bleeding. So where where John was concerned that this might be. Mm. Uh, a brain that is bleeding. It turned out that it was um, from that uh, uh, cheekbone, basically, that had been crushed. Um, wow. So, so we're talking with the neurologists, and um, and basically, we came to learn what has been very helpful for me as a pastor over the years that. Um, you you don't know what is going to happen and when somebody's going to come back and whether they're going to come back and whether the personality is going to change. They thought that Matthew would come out of the induced coma as soon as they relieved it. And so we were all around his bedside hoping and expecting that he would wake up when they um, remove the drugs. Um, and he didn't. And that was incredibly mm. traumatic and mm. then um it lasted for quite a while that 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 he didn't wake up and i'm talking about several days um wow. which was not a good sign from from the neurologist standpoint but then then we went through this whole process of uh 
learning about what happens when you've had a traumatic head injury. Um, and basically, you're, you don't know what's happened until time passes and you know whether or not there's there's been significant brain damage where personalities are changed or capabilities are lost or whatever. Um, And it went way longer than what was a good sign for him coming out of it well. Um, It turned out that that there was a uh, procedure that was done on... uh, on his in his sinuses that when the uh, was the an ENT John I can't remember um, or an orthopod but anyway the doctor that repaired his cheekbone used an old technique and it turned out that that was putting pressure on um, and and, ex, and pretty extensive pain on Matthew and that was one of the reasons that he didn't come to as quickly as possible. But I'll never forget, we were in the room and, um, and one of the nurses asked for Matthew's social security number. And all of a sudden, Matthew, who's there, uh, just sort of uh, groggy at best, and, and he just rattles off in like the super... <laughs> fast machine gun fashion his whole <laughs> social security number. <laughs> oh my gosh. We all looked at each other and were just amazed. So so wow. that that then continued for quite a while and we went through the whole process of um of him eventually waking up. Uh his personality was impacted by the injury. Um and that lasted for a um, couple of years, but it, you know, it got better over time. Thank God. Um, he recovered intellectually um, within just a few months, and he was able wow. to go back to Notre Dame, where he was going into his senior year. And uh, he took a half load, but he was a mechanical engineer, so a half load for a mechanical engineer is is um, very significant courses. Not a light load. (laughs) And um, in the meantime, he had a a new girlfriend, his first truly serious girlfriend who was over doing uh, mission work with, with children, AIDS orphans in Lesotho, which is in South in it's a little country surrounded by South Africa. And, um, so we reached out to her, and then, of course, the whole parish was um, uh, was emotionally impacted by this. And it, it went across the archdiocese because, you know, as a priest who'd been at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton for five and a half years, but mm-hmm, yeah. had been in the archdiocese by that point for, uh, let's see, about 15 years, 14 or 15 years. We knew many, many people all across the archdiocese. Right. And it was unbelievable, the um, the prayers and the care and compassion. I mean, it was just, uh, Marie Elena comments about it all the time, of the way that we came to experience what it means for people to be caring for you. Mm. Um, 
And somehow, and I, to this point, I don't understand how it happened, but the following weekend, I presided at all the masses and told the story of what had happened. <laughs> A day later, I would not have been able to even say mass on the weekend, much less tell the story. Um, and, and so that was somewhat miraculous that, that the trauma didn't completely take over my emotions, mm. um, where I could get through the weekend and actually tell the story, which was really important for the parish. Then there's, Mike Lawler, who's died, and there's caring yeah. for him. There's planning for his funeral. Um, and, you know, of course, that was just unbelievably intense because he had a, as a I think it was a one-and-a-half or two-year-old child. And, um, of course, his wife was just beyond devastated. Um, right. So so that was going on. And then we had the um, all those who were traumatized on the trip. Right, and we had a a, um, a guy who worked for the VA uh, health system, um, and and specialized in uh, uh, post traumatic s- stress uh, debriefing, mm. and so we engaged him to meet with. The group, and I was familiar with this because of my mountain rescue work that this was essential to do for everybody. So we got together one evening with, um, with him and who led the, the, the debriefing. And, uh, John, why don't you jump in and share what you experienced at the debriefing? I agree with Father Scott. It was, it was highly, therapeutic uh, when, when you're in those situations when when things are just out of control uh, you're, you're people look for something to do mm-hmm. and what struck me what, what came out of this meeting is what all these other people were doing that I had no idea were doing because I was I was involved in and mm-hmm. in, in the medical part of it but right but, but some kids ran up a mountain trying to get cell phone. Some kids boiled the water uh, mm. to to then put in water bottles to keep to keep Matthew warm. Uh, some people worried about um, what would happen with John Pontarella. Um, he set off alone, but how do we know that he didn't get uh, into into his own trouble? So totally. So some people organized kind of a secondary little trip to go down and make sure that he got through because we had extra people. And so let's, let's send a um, kind of a follow on group to make sure. um, So the the point being, I didn't know any of that stuff until you hear what other people Mm. did. Mm. Um, And to, to talk about it and understand that there was, there was just all these dynamics at play that, that you probably couldn't have scripted beforehand, but people just filled in. And remember, these are Step these up. are youth. These are people that you're out in the woods. You're on day two. You're tired. You you were looking forward to this big event, and now it became yeah. uh, this this whole different thing. And now you got to process this. 
so getting together was was very therapeutic in in terms of this shared experience that you you shared it but but you shared it in these different very different slices and the questions that are asked are meant to um allow one to go back and recount what one experienced emotionally and psychologically um by retelling the event so so it's therapeutic to the extent that you are re retelling what you experienced um which is trauma and and the purpose of course is to keep it from getting pushed down and there's a there's a window in which people need to talk about the trauma that they've experienced so it had to happen mm-hmm. within a certain number mm-hmm. of days mm-hmm. um and it's very raw at that time and so there were many many tears and uh but everybody hearing everybody else's story and the emotions they experienced and we're still experiencing so you're not just talking about what you experienced back then you're also talking about what you're experiencing now and um and so it it was uh, really essential for that to happen and then fast forwarding to a year later we were able to encourage most of the kids to come back on the trip and we actually went to the site where the plane had crashed and we took rocks from the uh the creek made a cross and and then we had a uh, uh a prayer service there uh mm. and Matthew was was there he came <laughs> on the trail wow. wow but what's interesting is he he was still recovering from what had happened and when you have a traumatic brain injury like that your memory is wiped out for x amount of time before the crash mm-hmm. so the last thing he remembered was flying over um turning an arm and um uh wow. and so he had no emotional experience of the crash so mm-hmm. so he was there and it was kind of like being put on a foreign planet where all of yeah. these other people had gone through these intense emotions and were still going through them yeah and he was kind of remote from that it was mm-hmm. and and because of his injury and it, it you know it took time for him to recover thank god he fully recovered but um he was a bit disconnected from all of the emotions that the rest of us were feeling and that's not a mm-hmm. critique of him that's just right it just was what it was um mm-hmm. but i think it was good for him to be there and see the crash site and hear hear the the things that all the the people said and right. shared as we were standing around this cross that we had made right next to where the plane went down i have a question um just about cuz when there are situations like this that happen where one person survives and another person mm-hmm. doesn't with survivors guilt that comes would you say that he experienced that or you and Maria Elena experienced that at all 
with basically, you know, Matthew receiving this miracle of his life being saved, but Mike Lawler passing. You know, it's interesting. I, I don't think Marie Elena or I experienced that. Um, and Matthew definitely didn't. There wasn't a sense mm-hmm. of that. So yes, yeah, so that wasn't, mm-hmm. wasn't part of, uh, part of what we experienced. However, yeah. the impact on Julie, um, you know, everybody grieves differently. Yeah. And, and Julie had an intense grief experience that lasted for years where she was not able to date, was just um, paralyzed in, in, in many ways. Um, mm-hmm. And we would contact her because um, she ended up moving out of state because her husband was in the military. Mike was in the military mm. and that job wasn't there anymore. And so she went back, I think it was to Tallahassee, Florida, where her family was. And um, we would talk with her from time to time. And actually Matthew would call her and talk mm-hmm. to her um, just to, to touch base. And she had um, a long, 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 many, many year process of, um, of being deeply traumatized by the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Our hearts just broke every time we talk with her. Mm. Yeah. That's what's very interesting about this story. Just, you know, a lot of times on this podcast, we hear, you know, a positive miracle story experience. And oftentimes we do ask our listeners, um, you know, well, what if someone's listening and they haven't, they, they relate to this, but they haven't received the miracle experience. You know, how do we as human beings cope when we're praying for something that God doesn't answer with physical healing or with um, like the positive type of answer that we want in this world? And, and that can be really hard to understand. Uh, it's going all the way back to the beginning of the podcast where you said that theocracy um, is what you struggled with. How can God exist when these horrible things happen in the world? So um, do either of you have any reflections about that? Like, it, you know, right now we're just faced with, here's the miracle of your son's life, this miraculous survival and all of these pieces that came together for that. And yet, you know, Julie didn't receive that miracle with her husband. Um, and, you know, for any of our listeners who might be struggling with that, do you have any reflections or advice? I, having struggled with that, I could never have become a priest had I not come to a point, which is where I've been all of my ordained ministry. And and that is that I believe with all of my heart and soul that Jesus suffers with us. And, and as, as much as I grieve with Julie Lawler, um, Jesus suffers perfectly, and so his pain is far greater than any suffering that I have in suffering with her. And 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 I truly believe that God suffers with us, and um, that's the God that I worship, the God of compassion. And compassion means suffering with. Um, and I found that that 
help some people and it doesn't help others, right? But that's, that's how I deal with it. And it, uh, because obviously, you know, as a priest, I'm, I'm present with innumerable people who, who I go through the dying process with or, or am called when all of a sudden they have a sudden death. And so that, that sense of God being in the midst of all of the pain, wanting to bring redemption out of that and be present with us in the midst of it is, um, is where I find solace. Mm -hmm. What you said actually reminds me um, when I know father Scott, you actually helped Kyle and I, when we were struggling with the loss of our first baby, that was when you were still our pastor um, and our, our other good friend and mentor, father Michael Shields, he gave us a book to read by father Benedict Grishel called arise from the darkness, where he talks so much about suffering especially, you know, a lot about those who've experienced trauma and just really don't know what to do with it. And he doesn't give any clean cut answers in the book, but he just walks you through so many um, different brilliant perspectives. And I remember in that book, there was a story he shared. I'm probably not going to, I'm not probably going to remember it super well. So um, I might be a little bit off, but from what I remember, there was a woman who was raped and then basically she got pregnant and was rejected by her whole community for being pregnant outside of wedlock. And this whole experience had happened to her um, that nobody believed. And she's left alone with this trauma and not only, you know, dealing with this pregnancy and the experience that she's trying to process on her own, but being rejected and, you know, experiencing this loss of reputation as well. And she wrote to him saying, you know, how can how can God let something like this happen to me? And the response that she got, it was something along the lines, um, the, the way that he put it was so powerful. But he said, you know, you have taken on the sins of one man. And we have a God who's taken on all of the sins and pain and suffering that has ever existed in any person in this world. Um, and so, yeah, what you what you said made me think of that because so many times God can use suffering to open up that door of understanding on it, like a tiny level of how much he loves us and how much he suffers with us, each and every one of us. And to think not only does he suffer my suffering, whether it's, you know, a hard day with the kids or losing a baby or the loss of a, a husband in a tragic plane crash, God is not only suffering that with me, but whatever every single person who's ever existed has suffers, he's suffering that with us at every moment. And so, um, you know, it's oftentimes when we're talking about trauma, we're just talking about trauma. And oftentimes when, when we're talking about a miracle, we're just talking about a miracle. But what's so beautiful about this story is, you know, we're looking at both in the face at once. And we're just faced with that. That's who God is. And, um, and he's placed us in a world where it's broken and there's going to be a lot of sufferings to bring us to him. And there are going to be a lot of miracles to bring us to him. But the whole point is that we're made for eternity. Um, so, you know, Julie 
and her husband and you and your son, whatever had happened in that moment, all of it just points to eternity with God. And so, yeah, that's just, I just wanted to share that reflection from Father Benedict Rochelle because yeah, that, that's powerful. My, yeah. my favorite theology book is a little, a little book called Wellspring of Worship by Jean Corbon. And in it, he has a beautiful reflection on the Eucharist. And, and he said that the, the image is that the blood of Christ properly understood when we celebrate the ongoing sacrifice of Christ for the sins of the world, that it's as if the blood of Christ is pouring over the, uh, pouring over the altar and dripping down the sides. And um, that's not a gross image if one understands that as love and compassion and sacrificial suffering, um, that it's, it's an image of the immense, the immensity of God's love and compassion for us all. I don't think everybody finds that image helpful, but for me, it's very, mm -hmm. very powerful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. suffering has purpose i think you know we live in a culture that's running from it they don't we don't want to suffer and i don't want to suffer but i think the times that i have suffered the most are the times that i've grown the most and also the times when i felt god's grace the most and so if we constantly run from it we might be actually missing an opportunity for something whatever god has for us and i don't want to discount anybody's suffering because everybody's is different. Everyone, you know, suffers at different lengths and levels over different things. But one thing that I'm starting to really realize as I get older and I'm seeing more death in my life and around me is how, and even your story, how unitive it can be. You know, the, the kids, they all went through this horrible thing, but they, you know, everyone suddenly had a mission and they went through this experience together and it grew them in some way, you know, it wasn't fun. They didn't want to do it, but they stepped up and they're never going to forget this. You're never going to forget this. You know, it, it's not going to leave them, but hopefully what comes out of it is growth and a deeper relationship with Christ. And maybe it's a deeper prayer life or whatever it is for each individual person. But if we can remember that, like obviously Christ suffered for a very specific reason. And if we can be united to that a little bit, you know, that it gives it this purpose. It's not meaningless. You know, and I, I would add to this and it's sort of a, uh, so appropriate. We're in the octave of Easter is that um, suffering does not have the final word. Death does not have the final word, but mm resurrection does and so mm -hmm. we don't mm -hmm. know why god continues to allow suffering in the world right as it is going on we know that he's not this abstract clock tower god who's just sort of right. looking down manipulating oh let's have let me have a plane crash happen right here and, and just sort of this dispassionate god but instead is is a heart that's broken for the brokenness of the world yeah. And, and and yet the final word is resurrection. The final Amen. word is victory over sin and death. And and that does make all the difference in the world. It does. 
you know, when, when a woman has lost a, a baby, um, saying, well, you'll see your child someday again is not always helpful to say the least. Sometimes it is, but that's not always helpful. And yet at some point that is helpful because that's our Easter faith that mm-hmm. Bernadette, you you're, you're your child's mother forever. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that is the final word that, mm-hmm. that we'll experience. And that is our resurrection faith. Amen. Absolutely. Well said. Yeah. And of course, you know, as we know from the Bible, God uses everything for the good of those who love him. Um, and so I'm just wondering with both of you reflecting back on that experience, what do you think God was doing with that at the time? Of course, it's not something that he wanted to happen or ordained to happen. It's, you know, suffering happens because of the brokenness of the world that we're in and free will. Um, but God can use even trauma or tragedy for the good of those who love him. So just looking back on your lives or what you saw around you, what do you think God was doing with that or has, has done with this experience? John, why don't you jump in? Well, while everyone was sharing those last re- reflections, um, it, it brought to mind a term I've heard, um, and, and that's uh, people sometimes want to put God in a box, and and God works when when he when he works within you know our confines. Well, we're talking about the God that created the cosmos. And one of my favorite things to do is read about astronomy and and the the James Webb Space Telescope that's now looking back mm-hmm. into these unimaginable distances and times. <clears throat> mm. So I mean, that's the God we're talking about. You, know, you, you, you try and put that in a box. So when... Uh, you know, and I also like to remind myself that, that my brain weighs about three pounds. <laughs> and and it's kinda like it's kinda like jello. And and the idea that we can understand all this stuff, the the the, the mind of God, this creative genius, really is is a that that doesn't make a lot of sense that, that your three pounds of jello is going to understand the mind <laughs> that made the cosmos. So, so when I'm dealing with, when I'm dealing with these painful things, that it, it helps me to, re, to, to remember that. And I also remind ourselves, I mean, how many times do we, do we, um, invite suffering into our, into our lives? Uh, <laughs> Father Scott, didn't we do a big bike ride a couple of years ago? <laughs> so, so Father Scott approached me a couple, a couple years ago, 2010, and he said, I think it'd be a good idea to ride the fireweed 200 mile bike race. And we ended up doing that. So it's yeah, a, one, people a do, one day ride, nonstop one day ride. <laughs> so people, people run marathons and they climb mountains. And so, so there's a place for, for suffering in our, in our psyche and our growth and in our development. And it, and it helps mm-hmm. us understand. Other aspects of our of our life, so that's our suffering that we invite upon ourselves. But there's other sufferings that that come uninvited, but it doesn't make it any less, yeah, um, uh, yeah, 
less useful or less less of a growth experience. So so while I avoid suffering usually when I can, I I right. I, I, I think I understand it in a way that doesn't make it um, a foreign part uh, of, mm. of my life, that is, it's integrated. And if the God of the cosmos says, I need mm. to have this experience or that experience, my, my job is to figure, figure out how do I, how do I respond to it? Amen. That's a really great reflection. You know what, what I would say as far as um, what happened, what happened through this um, would be that it's not just God who's suffering with us, but it's others. And when we suffer together, when compassion is present between individuals or within a community, it, it draws one closer to the others. And, and so Marie Elena and I, never felt closer to our faith community at St. Pat's, my former faith community at, and now yeah. present faith community at St. Elizabeth and Seton. Yeah. But there were people all over the world that were praying for us and, yeah. um, and just compassionately present. And there, there is a, an immeasurable sense of, closeness and love that is experienced through it all mm-hmm. and so you know apart from the death of of mike lawler um because matthew didn't die the primary feeling that i have when i think back on the aftermath of you know the traumatic events that happened out in the back country is just the love and the compassion that surrounded us on every side. It was just, um, you know, you just say, I'm not worthy of this to have all of this yeah. love poured out in our lives. Totally. And that's what Marie Lane and I both commented about that over the years is that when we look back on it, it's just, um, that's what we feel. That's what we experience. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you both so much for getting on and for sharing this story. It's very powerful. And um, like I said before, I've I've heard of this story, but never got to hear it this way from the two of you before. And no, it has to be kind of painful to dip back in. I know it was very emotional just to listen to it. And, um, and I know it will have an impact on anybody who hears it. So thank you so much for your time. Um, And now I want to move Thanks. Um, I want to move into our mini miracles that we end our episode with each week. And so the mini miracles are basically just a chance for each of us to share something from our recent lives or the past week, um, either just something positive or uplifting or um, a true little miracle experience that happened to us. So, Margaret, would you like to start today? Sure. I think I started anyway. Um, my mini miracle is actually a song. Um, has anyone heard the song Breakthrough by Red Rocks Worship? If you haven't, go no. listen. I, I discovered it many years ago, actually, but then somebody sent me an acoustic version 
a few days ago and it just in the midst of just I don't know personal struggles and in fatigue and kind of exhaustion and um, sadness about some of the conditions of the world and and things like that it really struck a chord um, it's a beautiful song you know we'll link it for sure um, highly recommend listening to it um, yeah it just really touched my heart and moved me music generally does and um, you know just was sent to me randomly so I'm just so thankful for my friend Rachel Hi, Rachel, who sent it to me this week. And it just really, I, I've listened to it, I don't know, six, seven, eight times in the, since I got it a couple days ago. So nice. anyway, <laughs> yes. Uh, how about you, Paige? Um, okay, so it is springtime when we're recording this. But as Father Scott said earlier, before we started recording, it's Christmas time. <laughs> because <laughs> it's been snowing nonstop. Um but I'm looking out the window right now and I see a patch of blue sky and sunshine coming through. And that's just very hopeful <laughs> as we are almost halfway through April. So I'm like, come on. And Alaska got so much snow this winter that I'm like, we really need the sunshine to melt all of the snow if we're going to see green by May. So <laughs> that is my mini miracle is that, okay, I think, I think the sun's starting to come through and I looked at the forecast for this coming week and it's supposed to be in the forties. So I'm very excited about that. <laughs> Probably forties are like midwinter weather for a lot of our listeners, but you know, yeah. <laughs> here in Alaska, yeah. some sunshine. That is, is a heat wave for us. Feels miracle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what about you, Berna? For me this week, I um, it almost feels silly saying something like this after the incredible story that we just heard, but this is definitely a little miracle to me. Um, my son, Michael, is 22 months right now, and he uses a pacifier, and we tried to get rid of it before our daughter was born because he's starting to have some you know, misshapen teeth and such. And when we tried to do it before, it was so horrible that after one day we were like, okay, this is, this is just not something we can do right now. He was almost hoarse from like screaming and crying for his pacifier at bedtime. Um, mm -hmm. And it was just, it was really, really sad and just clear like, okay, this is going to be very difficult to take them away. Um, but a couple of days ago, one of his pacifiers got a little tear in it and he said, oh, passy broken and showed it to us. And we were like, oh my gosh, we have to get rid of them now. Um, we're not going to buy new ones. And this is dangerous if it's starting to rip. It's like this natural rubber. So we told him, your passies are broken. We have to throw them in the trash. And he saw me like put them in the trash. And um, he has had some crying, but basically has gone down for his naps and at bedtime without asking for them once. And wow. um like he's, he's still, you know, under two and so young and he has, he has such a good level of understanding that I think he just understands like they're thrown away and they don't work anymore. But, you know, this was basically two months ago that we tried to take them away and it's just a night and day difference. And it just feels like such an answered prayer that with all the change going on in his life with a new sister and we're preparing mm -hmm. to move and all this stuff happening, um, basically... He seamlessly is transitioning away from using his pacifiers for sleeping. So <laughs> I, my husband and I have been like, oh, thank you so much, God, because we, we still can't believe it. We're like waiting to see if, 
you know, he starts asking again at some point. But for now, that's <laughs> my mini miracle this week. <laughs> um, what about you, John? Um, I'm, I, I, I usually don't have many miracles happen, but this one. <laughs> so if you would have asked me a week ago, I wouldn't have been able to tell you a story. <laughs> but but this one surprised me enough that I ended up telling my my wife about it. Um, as Bernadette mentioned, I have a lovely wife, and um, she she tries to get the daily mass, and she tries to drag me along, and about half the time I'll I'll make it. And so there was a a, a five thirty mass at St. Pat's, and but I wanted to go out for um, a bike ride, and. <clears throat> Father Scott and I share that experience too. We both we, we both have a love of bicycles, and so when you're winter riding in Alaska, it's very dependent on on the trails. And in the winter time, they can be hard and fast, or they can be uh, soft and, and and very slow. So I was off riding. Oh, it, so my wife says, "Were you going to go to five thirty mass with me?" I said, "Yeah, but I got to get a bike ride in first. So so I left it sometime thinking I was going to make it, make it back. And the trails were the soft and slow kind. And sometimes they're really narrow and you're always falling over. Well, it's okay if you fall over on a bike, you, you hit this fluffy snow and nothing hurts and just you get back up and you do it. And I'm falling a lot. And I'm looking at my watch going, I'm, I'm not going to make it. And I keep falling. I'm not going to make it. My wife's not going to be happy about this. And so, <laughs> I fell over one more time and I, and I literally looked up and I said, I said, God, if you want me to make mass, you, you have to help me out. And, I, and I'm, I'm in the middle of the woods. And, and I got back up and because we've had so much snow, it's, it's, it's a chore to get back up. So I had to get up out of the soft snow, got back on the trail and all of a sudden I'm riding and not falling over. And it was it was a night and day. Wow! Short change. And I, I looked up like seriously. <laughs> and, I, and I had to I had to ride straight to church. I didn't have time to come back, but but I parked my bike in the in, in the back and sort of walked. I, I and I, I came in my bike clothes and Father Leo thought that was okay. And I had to tell Kath that story. So I am pretty sure that's my miracle. That's amazing. Yes, that's awesome. <laughs> Can definitely relate with the winter biking and especially when you're on like the single track in the woods in the winter and you're sliding all the time. That is, that's really a miracle because yep. either it's hard, hard and rideable or it's so soft and you're falling off your bike every two seconds. So <laughs> I can't believe that. That's amazing. <laughs> what about you, Father Scott? Um, this one uh, happened a few weeks ago, but um, I had a young girl come into my office um, and share with me that she was suicidal. Um, okay. And I was the only person that she had ever shared that with. And um, for the listeners, I'm 67 years old, bald. Um, <laughs> somebody looks at me and I, I don't feel old, but I, I look old to them. And, it was a miracle to me that a young girl would um, want to share the deepest, darkest mm -hmm. part of her life with me. And mm -hmm. um, that's 
part of the joy of being a priest is that these things happen. And, um, but it still to me was miraculous. And I was able to get her connected with her mom and get her connected mm. with other help. And, um, you know, of course her mother had no idea any of this was going on. Wow. Um, but she was seriously suicidal. So it, it was a joy to be able to be there for her to be able to continue to be there for her uh, and, um, and get her the help that she needed, which most importantly was her mom and dad. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's beautiful. And I will, I will say, father Scott, you are such a blessing. Um, and obviously my husband and I felt the same way that you were someone we could go to and just your wisdom and your, demeanor are so wise and welcoming and so thanks for saying yes to the call and for being there for you know not only your immediate family but for your whole flock Mm -hmm. thank you well thanks again for sharing your very powerful story and now father scott if you would would you please close out our episode in prayer yeah you know before i pray i i want to just make a comment that um John Tapple is not just a former parishioner, but, um, but a dear friend and, um, journeying through the, the trauma and the tragedy of that, um, to have him at my side was one of the greatest gifts that God could have ever given me. And, uh, but that includes his friendship that's an ongoing mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Ongoing words, thank you. So thank you, John. Mm-hmm. Well, let's, you. Uh, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we do give thanks that you are with us in the midst of the joys and the sorrows of our lives. And we pray that we might always be open to encountering you who are our risen Lord who though risen and alive in our midst is nonetheless always compassionate, always there for us in the good times and the bad. So help us as a, as a people of, uh, as an Easter people to always uh, recognize that you are here alive in our midst, journeying with us both as individuals, but even more importantly as a community. Grant this through the risen one himself, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Venerable Fulton Sheen. Pray Pray for us. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Father Scott, John, we really appreciate you being on. And listeners, we'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Moving Mountains podcast. If you have a miracle story to tell, please call our hotline at 412-449-9609. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Moving Mountains Podcast AK. We encourage you to subscribe, leave us a rating and review, and share our podcast with others. We'll see you next time.